Good morning, everybody. In just a few days, uh, later this week, we are going to officially enter the season of Lent. Now, that word Lent may or may not mean something to you, depending on how you grew up. So before we get to the sermon of the day, I'd like to say a few words about Lent and about why you might want to observe it, even if this has not been part of your tradition. What is Lent? Lent is the 40-day period leading up to Easter Sunday. It's a time when we prepare to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it has kind of a solemn tone to it. And Lent usually involves prayer and fasting and repentance and reflection. And if you work uh, backwards from Easter Sunday, 40 days, uh, and, and not including Sundays you'll find that that 40-day period begins this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Uh, Sundays are not counted in the 40-day count. And the reason for that is that Sundays are Resurrection Day. Sundays are Celebration Day. Sundays are not a day for fasting. They are a day for feasting, right? Sundays are for pigging out. Uh, that's not in the Bible, um, but it should be. Uh, that, that's kind of the, the spirit of this. Sundays are celebration days, and you wouldn't fast on those days. Uh, and now what's the deal with 40 days? Because you see that number a lot in the Bible. Uh, Noah builds an ark and puts these animals on it, and they are on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. The people of God wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to meet with God and to bring down the law, to bring down the Ten Commandments. You want to guess how long he's on that mountain? Forty days. Uh, then when Jesus, uh, uh, the resurrected Jesus, uh, does not go immediately into heaven, he spends some time with his disciples before he ascends to his Father. You want to guess how many days he was uh, with his, before he ascended? Forty days. Uh, then Jesus was strengthened for ministry when he spent in the wilderness some days in, in being tested and tried. Uh, how many days? Forty days. Then Jesus died on the cross. He was put in a tomb, and he spent how many days in the tomb? The correct answer is three. Uh, just making sure you're paying attention. It can't always be 40, guys. In the Bible, the number 40 represents a season of preparation. So whenever you come across that number 40 in the Bible, scholars are divided on whether the intent is to interpret it literally or whether this is an ancient idiom that simply refers to a period of testing, a period of preparation, a period of transformation. Now, we do know from the Bible that God can transform an entire city in 40 days. He did that. We know he can turn someone's life upside down in 40 days. God doesn't need that long, but he is working with human hearts. Curiously, psychologists say that habits can be changed, new habits can be formed in a 40-day period. And neuroscientists say that over the course of 40 days, you could actually change your brain chemistry, your brain neurons can adapt by your actions and by your thoughts and by your prayers well within a 40-day period. A lot can happen in 40 days. So I want to encourage you this year to lean into Lent, to carve out some time over these next 40 days to pray, to experiment with fasting, to read your Bible, to, uh, uh, to try some form of sacrifice, to join a group. 
Now, as you've heard, our church-wide focus this Lent is the Lord's Prayer. And Lent is six weeks long, and each week over Lent, we're going to lift up one line from the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to soak in it, and bask in it, and study it, and talk about it, and ruminate on it, so that the words of Jesus change our brains, change our attitudes, change our perspectives, change our relationships. And we're going to start next Sunday with the first line, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. And this line is so, so rich, and every word in that line matters, and I'm really looking forward to preaching about that next Sunday. And then we're going to gather in groups, and we're going to talk about that line, and that's how Lent will go back and forth for six weeks. And, uh, and it's not too late to get in on this. Many of our small groups are studying the Lord's Prayer. Many of our Sunday morning groups, student ministry, everyone's studying the Lord's Prayer together. And as you've heard, you can go to the, the focus area in the hallway and talk to someone about how you can get the materials and go through it with some friends or join one of the existing groups. And you can do all that online as well. We also have a handful of daughter churches who will also be studying the Lord's Prayer over the course of Lent. We wanted this to be a wider prayer effort than just us. In fact, next Sunday morning, two of these churches are going to join us for worship via video feed. So just like on, on many Sundays in, in our church, it's usual for, you know, I look in the camera and I welcome those of you gathered in the sanctuary right now, and sometimes it's welcoming those of you in Knox Hall. But next Sunday, I'm going to look into the camera and I'm going to welcome the people gathered at Grace Chapel in Farmington Hills, joining us for worship this morning, and I'm going to welcome the people in Detroit who are watching this uh, from, from their church, 5.7 on the east side of Detroit. And when I do this next Sunday, this would be a great time if some of you want to spontaneously applaud. Uh, next Sunday, next Sunday, this is practice, next Sunday. Uh, now the fact that I've asked you to do that, I know it's not really spontaneous, but I think it would be a great uh, show of support for the unity of our churches uh, if, if the, the churches that are watching online kind of heard you applaud in the background. So, so you know, somebody start that next week, okay? Uh, uh, some of you are practicing right now. Great, thanks. Uh, uh, listen, this study works no matter where you are in your faith journey. Like so much of the teaching of Jesus... His teaching about prayer works for Bible beginners and Bible veterans. It works for those who depend on prayer and those who doubt prayer. It works for people who are connected to a church and for those who are disconnected or even cynical about the church. There is something in the Lord's Prayer for everybody, and it all starts next Sunday. So let's, let's stop right here and pray for the season of Lent, and then we'll, then we'll move on. Well, God, we give to you these next 40 days and pray that you would meet us where we are and work in our hearts and minds, transforming us into deeper, more resilient, more peaceful, more confident people. We pray for the other churches that are participating with us. We pray for the many small groups that will gather around the teaching of Jesus. We pray for those who will use this Lenten season as a season of prayer and sacrifice. And God, we can't wait to see what you will do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our scripture reading today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, uh, verses 16 to 18. If you're looking in your own Bibles, you'll notice that passage is right after the Lord's Prayer. But we are pulling it this morning in front of the Lord's Prayer for reasons that I think will become apparent shortly. Uh, Would you please stand for the reading of the Holy Scriptures? These are the words of Jesus, and I'll invite you to read these words aloud with me now. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, open these words to our understanding and to our use. Shape us by your word, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, my first uh, experience with this strange practice of fasting was in college when a friend of mine invited me to join him in a fast over Easter weekend. And he told me the idea was we wouldn't eat any food at all on Friday or on Saturday, and that we would break the fast on Easter Sunday on Resurrection Day. And he told me, you know, over the course of fasting, we would feel some, some pain, some pangs of hunger, and that would be a reminder of the pain that Jesus endured on the cross. And any pain that we would experience in fasting doesn't compare anywhere to the pain that Jesus endured for us. Sounds like a nice idea, right? Uh, I want to confess that it, it didn't work uh, for me. Uh, my own experience, honestly, I didn't feel more spiritual. I only felt more hungry and more irritable. And when my friend, uh, you know, told me about his wonderful soul-enhancing experience with fasting, I didn't want to lie, but I may have exaggerated its benefits in that on my soul. And this is an important point uh, that Jesus makes repeatedly throughout the the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Spiritual disciplines like fasting do not automate spiritual growth. Neither does reading the Bible one of the disciplines. In fact, Jesus repeatedly tells us it is possible to practice spiritual disciplines, but to do them in such a way that instead of becoming more loving, I only become more judgmental and smug. Jesus talks about this a lot. And uh, we might wonder, can I do certain spiritual disciplines, but not others? I, I, I like to study the Bible, Can I do that one that I enjoy? And can I skip the spiritual disciplines that I don't enjoy, like fasting and solitude and silence? Can I pick and choose? And yes, you do not have to do all the spiritual disciplines. These are not rules. Spiritual disciplines are training exercises to help us be able to do what we're not able to do by sheer effort right now. So if you wanted to run a marathon and you're not ready to run a marathon, you would adopt some training exercises that would get you ready to do that. If, however, you were, uh, wanted to enter a weightlifting competition, you would choose different exercises to get you ready for that. But what if what you were not able to do today that you wanted to be able to do 
was to love your annoying neighbor. Any training program for that? What if what you couldn't do now was be humble? What if what you couldn't do now was, was walk uh, with patience? There are disciplines that will help us do all those things. And of course, what we really want to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And spiritual disciplines help us do that. And if you're overly dependent upon people, then maybe the spiritual practice of solitude would help you train for that. If you struggle with pride, then maybe secret acts of service would help you do that. Disciplines are not rules, and some of them are more familiar to us than others. But before you dismiss the spiritual discipline of fasting as the practice of emaciated monks and weirdos, let me point out how many people in the Bible fasted. It's not just Jesus. Moses fasted. So did King David, Elijah, Ezra the priest, prophets like Zechariah, Jeremiah, Amos. Isaiah called for a big fast that would be tied to social justice and concern for the poor and the hungry. When Esther had to risk her life before the Persian king, she got some friends together and they prayed and fasted for three days and she called upon every Israelite to do the same. On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, all Israel would fast in repentance for their sin. And then in the New Testament, we see John the Baptist fasted, Jesus fasted, Paul fasted. The New Testament church fasted when they sent out missionaries, when they chose elders for their churches. I'll tell you how highly fasting is regarded in the Bible. Uh, You might remember this story. A man named Jonah went to preach to a city called Nineveh. And he did not want to go. He didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't even really want them to get to know God. But he went, remember the story? He got swallowed by a whale and then regurgitated. And, uh, and he preaches in Nineveh the worst sermon ever given. I don't know if he was trying to throw the deal or what, but here's a sermon. Look at it. It's recorded in Jonah 3, 4. This is the sermon. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the whole sermon. No clever introduction, no stories, no grace, and not even any call to action, no instructions. The only redeeming quality of this sermon is its length, right? <laughs> but look what happens. Uh, the next line, the Ninevites believed God. After the worst sermon ever given, they believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This is a pagan, ungodly city, and the first day of their faith, they fast. And not only do they fast, the king issues this proclamation, recorded in the next line, the king says, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. It's not just the the pagan foreigners that fast. The animals are fasting. The animals could not have been happy about that, but they participated in this fast. Actually, about the only characters in the whole book of Jonah who do not fast are Jonah and the whale. And the whale does kind of this reversed fast when he spits out Jonah, so it's really just Jonah. I had my own Jonah-like experience with fasting many years ago. I was asked to speak at a uh, youth conference, a youth retreat, 
and I, I didn't really want to do it. It was a favor to a friend, and I was worried about the cultural adaptation. This was a group now living in America from India, and they would normally have an Indian speaker, but because their kids are growing up in America and had American cultural values, they decided that they should get a cool, hip, young, gregarious, amazing youth pastor guy. And that guy wasn't available, so I stepped in. <laughs> I really, I was still in my 20s, and I was kind of worried about the cultural adaptation and the group planning that they really wanted me to give a call for commitment on Saturday night, to give an altar call, call kids forward. And, you know, honestly, I was a little nervous. Uh, what if nobody comes? And at that point, I was a little worried in my student ministry about um, something I observed in that day. And maybe, you've, maybe you know what I'm talking about if I say sometimes in youth settings in particular, there's a thin line between Holy Spirit conviction and emotional manipulation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We youth pastors, we know how to get kids to come forward, right? We get kids that last day of summer camp out on the hillside, and we say, you know, kids, this might be the last time we ever see each other ever again. And the tears start to come, and then we know how to get them to, you know, we're going to throw our stick in the fire. And I, I worry sometimes, was, I, was that the Holy Spirit, or did I, did I manipulate something with words and emotions? And I want to be careful about that, so I told them I would do what they asked me to do, but I was just going to give a real simple, non-emotional ask if they, people wanted to give their lives to Jesus. And I'm kind of nervous about this, so that the, the Saturday comes, and I, at the dinner time, I, I don't go to the, the uh, dinner buffet. I, I'm not feeling well. I, I don't eat and, and, I, and I, this Indian man comes over to me and he says, oh, I am fasting too. <laughs> and then I felt bad. And then I learned that a lot of these adults have been fasting and praying for this Saturday night. So I got up on Saturday night and I gave a very forgettable talk. And I gave this non-emotional look, if you want to give your life to Jesus and, you know, they come down here and somebody will pray with you. It was, I did a horrible, horrible job. And kids started to stream forward. So much so that I thought they misunderstood me. I stopped them. Really, I stopped. I said, no, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You've got to understand. This is, not, uh, this is not some emotional youth group deal. This is not about believing something. This is about giving your life over to God's control. This is about giving up your reputation and laying all the line and coming forward and there's got to be maybe a couple of you that want to come forward for that and the room just streamed forward and this odd moment where a little group circled up here and started praying and over here people started singing songs I don't know if you've been in one of those things where like the Holy Spirit got poured out in ways that were almost frightening I've only had this experience a few times in, where the Holy Spirit is so palpable and where it was so apparent that it was not because of any, any speaker or words. And the thought occurred to me when Jesus, his followers, wanted to heal somebody, they were not able to do it, and they're asked what gives, and Jesus says, listen, this kind, this kind comes about only by prayer and fasting. There's something about fasting that punctuates our prayer. It's not a guarantee, it's no formula, but there's something that when things are urgent, people fast and pray. It strengthens our prayers, which is why I recommend that when you fast, you fast with a purpose, with a reason. Fasting provides a fantastic reminder system. 
Let me give you an idea of how this works. Many of you are facing a very important decision right now, or you're in a very painful relationship right now, or you're facing major traumas in your life right now, and you know the only way you're going to get through that is through prayer. So you head off to work on Monday morning with the intention that you will pray about this urgent need throughout the day. But if your life is like mine, you get to the office on Monday and the phone starts ringing and the emails start coming in and meetings start happening and people want to see you and pretty soon four, five, six hours have gone by and you have not prayed once for this urgent need. You went in with the best of intentions to pray all day long and you got distracted by life. Now, try that same Monday again. This time you don't eat anything but water and maybe some juice. And throughout the day, you feel this little rumbling. And you say, what, what is that rumbling? Oh, that's right, I'm not eating. Why am I not eating? That's right, I'm not eating because every once in a while, I want something to poke me in the gut and remind me that there's this urgent need in my life that I need to bring before God. And if going without food will help me stay focused and will help me pray more fervently, then it is worth it. Fasting must have a God-centered purpose, not a self-centered purpose. Fasting in the Bible is not about weight loss or looking spiritual or even trying to earn God's favor. When we fast, hunger pangs should prompt us to pray. They shouldn't distract us, but they should remind us of our purpose. So rather than focusing on the food we're not eating, we focus on God and on hearing His voice through His Holy Spirit. Now, everything I've just said about food could also be said about social media, which is why many followers of Jesus around America this Lent will will fast not from food, but from their phones. They will do not a food fast, but a phone fast. Now imagine the same Monday scenario. You go to work and you want to pray, and then every time you feel that instinct to check your phone, you go for your phone, and you say, well, why is my phone gift-wrapped? And why does it have duct tape around it? Oh, that's right, because I wanted to redirect that impulse, that energy, that time, I wanted to redirect that toward God. And for many of you, if you prayed every time you felt the impulse to reach for your phone, you would pray a lot. I saw some research this week that the average American checks their phone every 12 minutes, 80 times a day. Can you imagine what would happen if you prayed every 12 minutes, if you prayed 80 times a day? A study by the global tech protection and support company Asurian found that the average person struggles to go more than 10 minutes without checking their phones. Four hours was the longest time the average person was prepared to go uh, before the need to check their phones became too much. The survey found that separation anxiety is indeed real. 31% of respondents said they feel regular anxiety if at any point they are away from their phones. 61% said they reported experiencing occasional stress when their phone was off or out of reach. A third of respondents said they would rather give up sex for a week than go for one day without their device. Fasting is a discipline that helps us gain better control over the things that control us. It's a chance to redirect our appetites, our impulses, and our energies toward God. It could be that the most effective fast for the 21st century American is not a food fast, but a phone fast. 
So what does fasting do in our lives? This is in the uh, notes section of your downloadable app. It does a couple things. Fasting, first of all, exposes our hearts. Richard Foster says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. It helps us uncover what's really inside. So if you are somebody who eats in order to feel better or to avoid, then fasting is going to make that clear. If you are someone who turns to social media to escape or to find human approval or to feed your addiction for information, then fasting from social media will make that clear. Fasting can reveal to us how much pain and anger and pride is inside of us, and fasting forces us to find another way to deal with those feelings. Secondly, fasting expresses hunger for God himself. Paul said to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.4, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So why fast? If God's given us all good things, why would we, for a period, stop doing and receiving those good things? Because fasting is a way of saying from time to time that having more of the giver surpasses having the gifts. It's a way of saying every now and again, God, uh, your gifts are good, food is good, but you are better. It's a way to ensure that God remains preeminent in our lives. This kind of God-centered fasting softens our hearts and helps us find contentment in Him rather than in just the gifts that He gives. Let's go back to what Jesus said about fasting. He said, when you fast, not if, just like He said, when you give, when you pray, Jesus expected His followers to do these things. He expected people to fast. Notice Jesus never said when to fast or how often to fast. This is not to become a legalistic rule. These are to be done as often as we need to help our souls stay healthy and stay in tune with God. What should be our attitude when we fast? When you fast, uh, first of all, don't look miserable. Jesus said, we heard his words read earlier, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Fasting, not something we do for the praise of people. You don't show up looking all miserable and gaunt and then, and then say to somebody, the, the, the reason for my disfigured appearance is because I am fasting, once again proving how much more spiritual I am than you are. That's not spiritual, that is hypocritical, and Jesus says, you have received your reward in full. Jesus once told a story about a Pharisee who prayed in a really loud way to call attention to himself. You might remember this, and this Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, and then he goes through a list of things, and one of the items he says, I fast twice a week. Pharisees in Jesus' day had a custom of fasting on Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays would just happen to be marketplace days when Pharisees knew they would have the largest audience. Remember, we serve an audience of one. And then thirdly, Jesus said the discipline of fasting uh, comes with a promise. God will 
reward you. That is what Jesus said. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. God knows what you're doing. He knows your heart and motivation behind it. And He will reward your dedication. So I actually want to suggest that you experiment with this over the next 40 days. That you come up with a fasting plan. And to come up with your plan, first of all, you need to choose a type of fast. And I am recommending that for this 40 days, you choose either food or phone. And, and there are variations of this. The whole phone or just the social media part of the phone. Is it a whole fast or a partial fast? But food or phone, that's my recommendation. Secondly, choose how long you will fast. Will you fast one day each week over Lent? Will you fast a half a day over Lent? Will you give up some small item for the whole 40 days? You've heard people say they gave something up for Lent. That's a form of fasting. I want to tell you my plan, uh, not to brag, but to model and to give you an example and to maybe invite some of you to join me in this. Uh, I'm going to choose food for my fast because food still has a control over me that I'd rather not admit. Some of you have already mastered food. Your, your keto diet or plant-based diet or intermittent fasting and you've wrestled that food thing to the ground and it no longer has control over you. And for you, a food fast might not make sense. For me, there's still a control there that I need to kick. I'm choosing a food fast. You might choose a phone fast. I've decided over Lent, I'm going to fast one day each week over Lent. I'm going to fast every Monday, those six Mondays in Lent. Uh, I've already checked my calendar, and there's a couple Mondays. I'm going to switch my day to Tuesday. Honor some commitments that would be awkward if I weren't eating. Um, that's my plan. And then uh, number three in your plan, you need to choose a reason to fast. I think it wise for most people to choose a specific reason to fast. And for this Lenten season, I am suggesting that you fast for a person. A person that God has placed on your mind and heart, and you focus your prayer energy on that person and on their health and their blessing and their soul, and you focus your prayers on that person. You might choose six different people, one for each week in Lent. And you pray, pray, pray. Ideally, it's people in your relational world who you could actually be a voice of encouragement and hands of help. Maybe somebody you might actually invite to Easter Sunday services. But pray for that person. Now, I know Jesus said, don't brag about your fasting. You don't need to tell people about this. But for this particular kind of fast, there might come a day where you want to tell the person, where you should tell the person, God has placed you on my heart and I'm praying like crazy for you for this miracle that just happened. That'd be a great day to demonstrate the power of prayer and fasting that we believe in and your concern and love for that person. God's going to do great things. Next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent, and we kick off this whole uh, new series on the Lord's Prayer. We're all going to meet together in the sanctuary next Sunday. Uh, Knox Hall will not meet as a worship service. Uh, there will be the 930 FX program 
in Knox Hall, but the worship services we're going to kick off together with those churches that are joining us via satellite or whatever that is they're joining us by, and, uh, and we're, we'll be off to a great start. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you make it possible for us to grow in the reality and power of your kingdom. Use these next 40 days to free us, to strengthen us, to teach us, to shape us for life in your kingdom. Lead one of us in this great adventure. For we pray this in the life-giving, life-changing name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody said, amen, amen.